and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts, Hannah and Monica and Wayne. How's it going, guys? Hey, Mav. Is this the biggest grouping of all of us we've had in months? I think. Usually, yeah. yeah, it's been a while since everybody was here. I mean, so this is... We got the gang back together. <laughs> oh Aww. god are you she's doing a she's doing a early segue but we want to get into no. the topic or do we, oh no, you're not? i'm just saying we i'm just saying we got the gang back together oh, okay we reunited i genuinely don't know when the last time we were all together yeah. in the same virtual room yeah i don't i mean it's weird because i talked to some subset of like i'm the one who's here most often so it's like sort of yeah you know i hear you all probably more often than you hear each other but also the group chat just never goes away <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so it's like i don't hear your voices but that's fine anyway you know we, we should at some point actually have a movie night with all of us because we're going to talk about movies today but specific movies and i was like as we all saw but we didn't all see because monica missed it what are we talking about hannah we're talking about <laughs> indiana jones okay good which is a franchise very important to me for some bizarre reason indiana jones indiana jones and the never-ending podcast uh, <laughs> you know when kingdom of the crystal skull i came out i was there at midnight i was dressed up with my friends why a group of like high school mostly women were like yes let's do this at midnight i don't know but it happened it was great what do you dress up as a high school girl not even a boy uh, high school girl is it do you dress as indie is it just like are you just there well, and like some people some people did dress as indie and i have friends who to this day are who are women infants fans of indiana jones who dresses indiana jones for halloween as like a standard costume they break out every few years sure i dress as marion ravenwood because i happen to have a white dress and was like she's the great female character of this franchise was not thinking of the start of that romance and its implications at the time because and which speaks to how i guess fiction changes as you grow up and watch things but are you talking um, about the fact that you were quite possibly older than marion was at the moment <laughs> <laughs> yes i am <laughs> nevertheless yeah we dressed up you know went to indiana jones it was not as elaborate as the times that we dressed up for like the like final back half of the harry potter films where like a group of 20 of us took on the character each but yeah fun high school memories that are like actually like happy ones okay so on our next episode hannah will regale with regale us with of tales of how she was a gentle minion <laughs> i don't know what that is <laughs> uh, so anyway well i guess we're gonna get into it so so people know we will review the new movie a little bit but we're not gonna try not to spoil it is that fair because yeah as we record i've seen it wayne you've seen it hannah has obviously seen it and monica did not get a chance to see the new movie dial of destiny yet so if you've not seen it yet do not worry we're gonna give only the vaguest of spoilers we aren't really spoilers for an indiana jones movie like you know yeah yeah, yeah biggest there's spoilers. some nazis yeah, it's an indiana jones movie <laughs> the there's, boulder, some nazis. there's a snake there's a whip. Right. Right, yeah. right. Um, in all seriousness, yes, all of those things do occur in this film. <laughs> there, yep. there are, do there, there do are, yeah. okay, yeah. I mean, fine, mild spoilers. There are no snakes, there's eels instead. Well, no, yeah. I was thinking about the bull, like, there's, I, 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 mean, I found rocks. this 
Mm, yeah, I found this movie like kind of in many places unmemorable. So <laughs> I guess we can I, I guess I'm starting this off of reviewing it, but that, that wasn't like being pedantic. I was like genuinely like, were yeah, there yeah. those things in this movie? They were. So okay, okay so yeah. so we should talk about it. Okay. So as a review, we should we need to get ourselves a good Vox Popcast rating system going. You know, I have my own personal five star rating system that I devised for my blog years ago. But if we ever become like a formal movie review thing, we need to be, have a formal way of reviewing. But just in general, I liked the film. Hannah? <laughs> I mean, it was, I don't, let me be clear. I don't hate it. Like, it was a film. It was a movie. It was I a movie, movie you see in the theater movie. It was, <laughs> it was a movie, movie I saw in the theater movie. Which it, I'm like, going to say, I'm going to propose should be our rating system. <laughs> 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 I, I thought that Harrison Ford gave some very nice performances and scenes. I thought that Phoebe Waller-Bridge like really brought some liveliness to her character. But the mm-hmm. thing is, I, I felt that most of what I had seen, both thematically and set PC, had already been done better in previous films, particularly in theme-wise, like Crystal Skull. And I felt like hearing James Mangold and some of the actors talk about their characters are the themes of these movies in the interviews they gave mm-hmm. were more interesting than anything the movie did. Like, I, I feel like they brought up some interesting questions on occasion and then just dropped it. And I was like, well, okay, cool. Like, okay, that's fine. I will not spoil it, but there was one, like, action-y kind of sequence I felt like I hadn't seen before in an Indiana Jones movie. So I didn't hate it. Okay. I really liked seeing some of the characters we see again. Some I could have been fine without seeing again. I just, I don't think, I don't, it wasn't necessary, which, like, people might be like, well, Hannah, none of the movie since Raiders were necessary and not been <laughs> the Discord every single time and yes but like this movie in particular I didn't feel like it did anything new or interesting any movie and necessary I, I, no but like I, I'm not gonna watch like it doesn't have rewatchability for me like I'm not okay. gonna watch this again like I will watch I mean to be fair most of the time I will just watch Raiders or Crystal Skull or Last Crusade sometimes if I'm feeling particularly into the patriarchy but th- this and Temple of Doom are like goodbye I like it okay. better than Temple of Doom I guess wow. but I really hate Temple of Doom so you know Wayne what about you I liked it. And some of that goes back to just, I got what I wanted out of it. It was an Indiana mm-hmm. Jets movie. So maybe just at this point in my life, expectation. And Hannah, I, you know, I haven't seen Crystal Skull since it came out. I didn't hate it. That's um, the here. My, my thoughts at the time though, was it kind of didn't feel like an Indiana Jones movie, whereas this one did. And so my expectations were met. This gave me what I wanted. I didn't expect anything new or incredibly vigorous or innovative. I saw an Indiana Jones. What this one brought that I think is, and maybe there's another episode. is and i see this in card we're seeing this in secret invasion right now but the idea of an aging hero indy's not fighting nazis anymore and when he does he's getting his ass kicked and the fact Mm -hmm. that he's old changes the dynamic that that actually who that character is and i find that interesting crystal skull did that i but see i don't remember anything about Crystal Skull other than yeah i and you're talking about it being memorable i remember some monkeys i remember a nuclear explosion that he survived in a refrigerator that's it Mm -hmm. that's all i remember Mm-hmm. And to be fair, I haven't watched it since it came out. So, but I, and I may have had a very different feeling. I may have talked about it differently at that time. <laughs> I, I am not this from pressure. So, those are the things that I keyed in on. With this. And, you know, and one of the complaints I've seen just in my newsfeed, social media kind of thing, people complaining like, well, yeah, it's just an Indiana Jones movie. I didn't need to see that because it's just the same thing. That's kind of exactly what I expected and felt rewarded in that expectation. So, 
Yeah. So for me, I was, I guess I was a pretty solid, you know, three and a half out of five stars. I liked it. I like all these movies. I liked it better than Crystal Skull for much the same reason as Wayne, which is I remember nothing from Crystal Skull. I mean, I like I know I've seen it. I recall seeing it. I think I've seen it more than once. There's I remember the nuke. I remember the monkeys and I remember way too much Shia. And this is not even like not even hating on Shia to hate on Shia. Some of the, the negative. And this is not Hannah, but some of the negative criticism about this of this style of Destiny movie is. Oh, well, they're just trying to push Phoebe Waller Bridge. They're just trying to make they're trying to make a movie about her. They're trying to make a movie about, you know, this chick, you know, and um, I did not feel that way here. I absolutely felt that way about Crystal Skull. I like I just there was way too much Mutt Williams in Crystal Skull for me. And I did not feel that way about this film. So that was a big difference for me. The thing that I like about Indiana Jones movies in general, and this is we're going to transition into talking about all of them, is I think that as a concept. In fact, I know that as a concept, they're based around Spielberg and Lucas going, you know, when we were growing up, I used to love those old Hollywood serial movies. And if we could just do that. And so when these movies started in, you know, this first one, 1981, I think something like that. When Raiders starts, even then, this is a movie for old men. Like it's a movie. They're not that old. Spielberg and Lucas aren't that old yet, but they're looking back at movies that they watched with their dads, you know, like nostalgia. They're looking at back and they're trying to do a movie that, that that was too old for them. And then it became like this sort of, you know, Gen Xer me, you know, it became like this formative film for us. And I'm an old man now. So now these are movies that were built to be nostalgic when I was a child 40 years ago. And now I'm an old man and they're, you know, just even more nostalgic and the same guys in them. And I did like it because I absolutely love seeing an Indiana Jones who's tired and who cannot do all of this anymore and who is, you know, not only feeling his age, but is also feeling the ramifications of this life of being a, you know, an adventurer for however long. To which I say they did that in the Crystal Skull. Which is what I want to bring up, which is as someone who hasn't seen this new one, but who really actually enjoyed Crystal Skull minus the aliens, which I know is saying a lot because it's a movie about aliens. Aliens, yeah. Considering like it was always meant to be the nostalgia callback. I think that we have to have the fifth one and we need to address the Shia LaBeouf in the room, right? Like, obviously, this was like, they had very different plans for the franchise that they pinned on an actor. Then a bunch of stuff came out about his personal character as to why you couldn't pin the franchise on it. And then they had to pivot. Like, that's I mean, why we have they, a dial of like, mm, I don't think so. Like, I, I think that, like, they set it up for a hot second that he might take over and the end of Crystal Skull spoilers for, like, a movie that came out in 2008. Mm-hmm. Indy takes the hat back and Harrison Ford has said in interviews, which, you know, how much he can control, I don't know, is, like, when he di- when I die, he dies in reference to Indiana Jones. Like, I don't think they were ever said it. I mean, maybe... Harrison has no control it. over that, though. I, mean, yeah. that's yeah. Why I, said, I, mean, yeah. I did say that. <laughs> yeah. I did say that. Like, he also doesn't like, understand Blade Runner, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
He, like, but I think that it was not set up for Shia LaBeouf to take over because they pulled the hat back. Like, it is more like focused on multiple characters, including Marion Ravenwood in Crystal mm-hmm. Skull. But like, I think that like they're they. I'll just I can talk. I guess I didn't talk about Crystal Skull because it's like a film that we, if we are all listening to this, either have all seen or had the option of seeing for like almost twenty years and like didn't. So are you really going to now? <laughs> they have this beautiful line at the very beginning of the film when Indy has has like basically been fired by his college because he's been pitted against the United States government because of Red Scare tactics. And he's talking to Jim Broadbent's character about Marcus Brody and Sean Connery's characters from the past three films now being dead. And they say something about that we've reached the point in life where life stops giving us things and just starts taking them away. And the great thing about Crystal Skull is like Indy's proven wrong. Life has meaning left like in it. There are there people People who come back into his life it's good i don't think we need the fifth one i think that the ending of the fourth film when he and marion get married and he and mutt have kind of resolved their differences that is an ending that like that is like a way to wrap up this character yeah like i i think that's perfectly fine and yeah you know what i'm doing the victorian marriage plot thing whatever but, you know <laughs> these are very victorian stories because they weren't just inspired by these their childhood serials they were also inspired by victorian adventure fiction with characters mm-hmm. like alan quartermain and stuff like, you know, H. Ryder Haggard, who wrote King Solomon's Mines, which is where Alan Quartermain was introduced, and a novel called She, which is like mm-hmm. the I've, weirdest yep. thing I've ever read in my entire life. Oh, have you um, read She? Yeah, of course I, I have. I didn't know that there was anyone else left on the planet other than myself who had read She. Oh, come on, Matt. You know I've read She. <laughs> I know, of course, I know you guys have read She. I may, I'm, we're doing a podcast, guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I found, I found an old copy of that at like a Arn Lee Market 25 years ago. Like I, it may be worth millions of dollars. And this was this old, musty copy of that sitting on a shelf at a flea market in a bar. So anyway. She is cited liberally in my dissertation. So, uh, so, so, but I just like, of course, I know you guys have read. I'm, 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 I'm injecting content. <laughs> and that's worked out. <laughs> But yeah, so like like all these like you know H. Ryder Haggard novels, like there there was a genre that came into being in the Victorian period and made popular by Victorian early twentieth century writers called Lost World Fiction. And you might be thinking Conan Doyle's Lost World, but also there were earlier works like Edward Bueller Lighten's The Coming Race, which mm-hmm. featured something weird called Vril, which I think I've probably talked on this podcast before. But full circle back to Indiana Jones, Vril was like this power source thing that Nazis like read like the fiction theoretically apocryphally and they were like we should go hunt down Vril because like we're obsessed with the occult which you know leads us back to Indiana Jones and like the first movie we should go hunt things down because we're obsessed well, with yeah. the occult all um, the movies all yeah. Indiana Jones movies are let's go hunt down things because yes. we're obsessed with these guys. two and four don't feature Nazis let's punch Nazis right like these yeah. are v- yes. and which also points to like we really need to talk about like the timeliness of why are these movies old because they're literally golden age like let's <laughs> punch Nazi fictions that are coming out in the 80s like (laughs) and we are kind of having the same discussions and it is a little strange because nowadays when you go onto the Met website and you search through the collection there's actually a filter where you can look and see objects that were stolen by the Nazis 
during this World War II, pre-World War II period that Indiana Jones is taking place in. So this is itself like rooted in history as a very common practice, but the idea mm-hmm. of these were originally films where it was okay for the answer to just be, if we steal it and the Nazis don't, it makes us good because we are taking yeah. it from a Nazi, yep. rather than now yeah. we have the repatriation question of, is that really winning if you are taking it from the people who own it to start with? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I got that like, question then too. I mean, like, I think we we ignore that. You're talking about you're talking about in real life. We ignore that as much now as we did then. I think that there were people raising that question. Absolutely, because and, Met well. might have that filter of stuff that right. was stolen by the Nazis, but it's not like the Met is giving it back. <laughs> like, no, it's in just, the Met. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, which, uh, like, I think one thing to talk about with Indiana Jones is the whole I mean yeah it's great that in 2023 we have an unequivocal movie in theaters that just like yeah we should punch the Nazis because sometimes people are like oh maybe we shouldn't punch the Nazis though because yeah. it's complicated no it's not like <laughs> Nazism is yeah. super like a super violent ideology like come on like Nazis are bad but like you were saying Maka like it like was becoming evident to me rewatching all the films in preparation for this how like if there were ever a historical event in American history where it was really easy to simplistically point to like our side versus their side and be like we beat the Nazis <laughs> look at all the things the Nazis did America is great like you know which I think maybe Mav and Bonk and Wayne you all can probably say more about this like you know why so many superhero movies even those like more contemporary like hit, you know historically against the Nazis it also like kind of absolves Indiana Jones of like all of his bad behavior because he like he's he's not like a great guy like no like, well, like, wait, but anyone compared to a Nazi is a great guy and like <laughs> right <laughs> And it's really kind of frustrating because, listen, I want to punch Nazis and I want there to be movies about us punching Nazis until the end of time. I also want us to tell more stories about why Nazis are bad instead of just the same stories. Like, there's a book that came out Mm -hmm. within the past two, three years. It's called Blitzed. It's about specifically the drug cocktails that are being created by the Nazis during World War II and pre-World War II. And the fact that most Nazis are being issued like Beth as part of their standard issue soldier medication regimen. And like, there's just so many more interesting things for us to be talking about, like why the Nazis are bad. And yeah, it's just stealing, it's just steal, stealing artifacts is really low on the yes, list. Exactly. <laughs> hey guys, hey, in the third movie, they also burn books yeah i that was a sarcastic comment i want to be clear about so like, <laughs> well, like and also like it's interesting to me if we're talking about portrayals of nazis the character of elsa in the last crusade and how she's handled nazi for the those nazis who might not be aware <laughs> Elsa, she wolf of the ss I, I guess for me, the thing that makes all of these work, though, is the simplicity of it, right? Because, like, Indiana Jones is not a good person. He's actually demonstrably bad, right? Like, the, everything that you guys are saying, he is the definition of American exceptionalism and American, you know, whataboutism, right? Like, he is essentially, it belongs in a museum. Or, I mean, you could leave it right where it is because it belongs to the people well, who you're stealing it from, right? Like, like I like I get it, which is the message to it's the moral to the third one 
where he's like, ah, you can let it go, Indy. You know, he has to learn that. And then we made two more movies um, <laughs> where he has trouble letting things go. Well, but- actually, in the fourth movie, his whole point is to like his whole like reason to like, which it repeats a little bit of the third movie in the sense that he's looking for Harold Oxley, who is a friend of his at the University of Chicago. And like in the third movie, he's looking for his dad, not the grail at the beginning, at least. But in the fourth movie, like the whole thing is like he just wants to return the skull. Like there yeah. are a lot of I want to be clear. There are a lot yeah. of problems about portrayals of indigenous people in the fourth movie and crystal skulls are like, you can just go on Wikipedia and it'll be like, by the way, these crystal skulls don't really have anything to do with actual indigenous yeah. cultures. Like that's nothing. The aliens. <laughs> no, like whatever alien. Well, of course it has to do with aliens. But, and they're, you know, they're like one of the things that they say is like, you know, primitive man couldn't like have like the, you know, the kind of like engineering like the city requires so of course it was like men from outer space which like it, it, you know is part and parcel of like the adventure genre and also is deeply colonial and offensive and also reminds me of like, reading Victorian anthropology like when the field was starting off with these dudes in armchairs in England being like let me write about cultures I don't know and like characterize them in really racist and specific ways in my ethnography but that's all to say in the fourth movie he is just returning the school like he is not fair taking it anyway and he's then, not taking and it too, oh, but it starts i mean and, and he's second, already that guy is though is it, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Point, but in point, the second movie he actually like the it belongs to the museum hadn't been introduced yet because that's in the third movie at the very the like movie. opening but at the very end of temple of doom for all my rants about its orientalist and colonialist mythology which i'm happy to go into my research about that if anyone wants to hear it later but like the very end of temple of doom willie is like hey you don't want to take these stones and he's like no what were they gonna do sit in a museum like they belong to the people of mm-hmm. this village so like it's interesting about, he, unlearns, like, he unlearns his own lesson yeah yeah like it's he's like complicated it depends on the movie's plot well, too that's kind of what i'm getting at he's not so he's only a good person if you want to take him seriously throughout the entire body of work throughout the entire mythology of indiana jones he is you know he's we made jokes about him and his the statutory rape of marion you know in the first movie but like everything about indy is okay this is only okay because he's the protagonist right like well it's not okay not well i mean i mean i'm not saying that people aren't critical of it i'm saying that in the context of their world right no marion thinks it's not okay like i I know know, i'm not saying he's forgiven for it i'm saying in the context of their world indy is a bad dude who gets away with stuff because he's the main character so yes Uh, marion marion realizes that she was too young at the time and then but like he's the protagonist he is the white dude professor so he can get away with stuff at the end of the day indy is a guy who likes doing murders he does a lot of murders really a lot of murder and yes i re- i get that like a lot of them are nazis and sure that it's good but also he's putting himself in situations where like i'm a professor i don't carry a gun around <laughs> you know like like that's I, I, I have it on good authority and use the whips yeah yeah <laughs> 
he's, he's, yeah, he's only on these adventures to be, you know, he's found a world which will allow him to go and be a maniac, basically, because the, you know, he's not like even I used to think that, oh, he's in the, in this world. This is what archaeology is like, you know, but like it's not because none of the other archaeologists in this most recent movie, he's hanging out with another archaeologist who doesn't know how to do any of the kinds of shit that he knows how to do. His dad in the third movie, John Connery's character doesn't know how to like randomly kill people. And well, he's a medievalist. Like, so, yeah. But my point being, <laughs> this is not a world where, hey, academia is just cooler than it is in real life. It's a world where he uses academia as his excuse to go out and do a bunch of adventuring and murdering and, you know, pouring about like that's his world is that he is sort of a I'm OK doing this because I'm the American hero. But it's the Batman problem, right? Well, it's the I'm Batman so I can get away with this stuff that's actually kind of deplorable. Well, I will say as far as like the Marion thing goes and like what if you don't know what we're alluding to is that when their relationship well, starts. Well, maybe not. But yeah. like in the dialogue of the movie, she talks about their relationships. And she said, I was a child. It was wrong. And you knew it. And like you could interpret that as like, you know, she was 18 or like she was 50. I think like someone is said, like 15. 15. Yeah. But there's a conversation between George Lucas and Steven Spielberg that I'm sure we can find and link to mm-hmm. in the notes where they were they're being really gross like mm-hmm. like they're like this is like really not a joke like it's not funny like like they're being really gross and they're like wouldn't it be like super like transgressive like wouldn't it be cool if like she were like 12 like 13 and like she like knows what she wants and like it's just it's real like it's really like weird and I didn't know I like I didn't know this conversation existed until mm-hmm. after high school after college so that's like you know why I like didn't know anything like it it just it was it yeah. is messed up so the script the script says she was 15 at the time so yeah. she is supposed to and i understand the point they're making so the argument that they're trying to make is at this time when this would have happened if she were 15 even if she were and the argument is she's 15 at the youngest 17 at the oldest but he's 27 and the argument of the film is this is less weird in it would have been 19 I think 29 when it would have happened than it would have been now and yes. you know what it is less weird in 1929 than it was my grandmother started dating my grandfather when she was 15 he was 19 not 27 he went off to war and most of their courtship was while he was in world war ii and writing letters back and forth to each other. And it was a four, four and a half, almost five year age difference between the two of them. But like, I get that they're trying to make that point. There's not really a good point to it, though, other than two old guys who want to say, remember the good old days when you could fuck a 15 year old? Like, that's kind of the story that they're telling. And I get why it's gross. But I also think that sort of that is the vestige of the time. And he's not a good dude. India is a bad person. Well, like, I don't even I, know. I if it's worth saying like it was of the time i mean the age difference maybe like it was considered quote less gross a little bit but like it still is inappropriate and also it's admittedly she wasn't his student or anything but there are plenty of stories that have come out about real life academia mm-hmm. in like this century where there are a lot of abusive academics who have affairs with their students or have harassed their students 
or, you know, insert the, like, so I, in some ways, like, I think this is like, like indie, like being gross toward women as much as it problematizes like a romance. That's literally how he's introduced in the very first film, right? Is we get in our first 15 minutes, we have him being, I don't know, some version of like our Teddy Roosevelt imperialist hiring local people (laughs) in order to like what do we say you know oh you go first i'll just be over here as like literal human fodder in which they say i don't want to go in here i might die and he says to some equivalent of well i'm paying you (laughs) and continues to like push them along through this terrible dangerous journey and then we see him uh, teaching a class that is in Entirely full of young women, which again, we need to think about this is supposed to be like what Harvard in the 30s in a like an archaeology anthropology class. That's basically every woman attending Harvard at that time. Like <laughs> it is an entire <laughs> All in that one class, class of like right. 45 women. And when things are not that progressive yet to be letting them take a science class. And like these women are all in there clearly moony eyed to the point where one of them writes love you on her eyelids and blinks slowly at him, which I have decided is the thing that I'm going to do next time I go to a bar and want to bring a mate home. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's just something about like this is who we are supposed to know Indiana Jones to be like not a good teacher just Mm -hmm. a hot one right it's like it doesn't really matter (laughs) that he no he's not a good teacher he's not a good archaeologist he is a guy who i mean he's bad at it he's objectively bad and he's the not a part. supposed he, to be some like fun little BSM stuff yeah, happening. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he just likes to. And in the actual canon to the story, you know, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, he's much more into the adventure thing than he is into the archaeology thing, right? And it's part of this happens in Last Crusade too, in the in the River Phoenix mm-hmm. at the beginning. Like this is very much a he's into being an adventurer and archaeology gives him a purpose to this you know archaeology slash grave robbing relic hunting whatever you want to call it he's a relic hunter a lot more though more so than he's an archaeologist if anything i'd say probably he does more archaeology in this fifth movie or at least more archaeology professoring in this fifth movie than he does in the previous four <laughs> not a lot just say that he actually like updated his teaching in the- yeah i'm not saying he does a lot i'm saying that i'm saying that like because Harrison Ford is an 80 year old man and there was only so much they could do there's a fair amount for for an action movie there's a fair amount of well let me tell you this story of this thing that happened in 212 BC that happens in this fifth movie because they just had to fill screen time I mean they didn't have real screen time they could have just edited it yeah, that movie is down it is a long movie three minutes. Um, but, I, but yes but I'm just saying as far as archaeology goes, this movie probably yeah. has more of it than the other four combined like, <laughs> of actual archaeology. I mean, he does say at one point that most archaeology takes place in the library, which yeah. does explain why we don't see him doing any archaeology in any of <laughs> his films. Although in the fourth one, he does finally go to the library. Amelia is on the back of a motorcycle. Oh, he does. Yeah. Well, and he, no, he hangs out. He and Phoebe Waller-Bridge have a scene in the library in this most recent one, too. There are there is. 
legitimate, reasonable stuff. Well, I guess. <laughs> because he goes to a library in the third one, but it's to destroy the library. So, yeah, because he and Ilsa are like looking for his dad and yeah. it takes him to a library and yeah. then they like break through the floor of the library while yeah, he yeah. does his stamp. I wasn't even thinking of it as a library. I was just, I was thinking, I was in my head, I haven't watched it in a bit. And I was thinking, was it a library? I was thinking it was like a church or a temple or something, but it is a library. They're, yeah, they go to the library. So they, yep. I mean, to be super pedantic, you're not wrong. It used to be a church. Yes, yeah. That's why I was in the because they don't use it as a library in the film, so I forgot. <laughs> but yes, I see what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but like, you know, beyond him being like a grave robber, like the, these stories rely on genre conventions that were established, I'm going to say at least by like the mid 1800s, if not sure. before, that are like super colonialist tropes, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we talked about some of them, like the portrayal of an indigenous people, but there are others. He's a penny dreadful hit char- character. I mean, yeah. that's what he is. And I mean, your comparison yeah, to Alan Quartermain what, what is designed to be. Yeah. yeah. All the films, actually not all the films, because this most recent one doesn't. And actually, I can't remember the beginning of Crystal Skull. Like, it's a blank for me. When Crystal Skull is there's a groundhog pops up. Then you hear Elvis's hound dog come as you pan out onto a, a group of like 1950s teens trying to race some military men. And then you get to like this super secret base and there's a shoot em up and it's revealed that the military men were commies all along. And then there's a man thrown out of a truck. We don't care about him. And then another man thrown out of a truck. And then a hat is thrown out of the truck at inner Indiana Joe. Okay. So, so the first three, and I guess kind of the fourth, but not really. The first three movies begin with the trope. And this is, I know why it's there. It's because it's one of Spielberg's favorite tropes. And he and Lucas had a discussion about it. And they're like, I love that too. So Raiders, Temple, and Last Crusade all sort of start with the premise of, and the beginning of this movie is the end of his last adventure adventure which we did not see right like like in Raiders he's coming back from doing something else that's not really related yeah. other than for you to understand that this is just kind of the thing that he does yeah. while he's on sabbatical he's always on some little mission and then Temple does that too and then Last Crusade does that it's just sort of a yeah my day job is I'm teaching but what I really do is I go and I do this relic hunting thing and it tells you that but also it gives you the impression that we only got to see five Indiana Jones movies, but there's really a hundred of them. Like, yeah, that's what he's going for. We don't really have that. Like this movie doesn't have that. This movie has a flashback to a movie that we didn't see, but we see everything that's important from it in, in this movie. It's not the same. It's not the same thing as like those other movies. And I think part of the reason that is, is they're trying to very much give you the idea that after Crystal Skull, things kind of slowed down for him. <laughs> you know, like he's an old man. And I do. I like that. I so here's where what made me interested in doing the show today. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny functionally was the movie that I thought Top Gun Maverick was going to be. And Top Gun Maverick ended up not being that movie. Top Gun Maverick, when they announced it, I was just like, okay, this is the nostalgia movie that is literally a movie for old men, of which I am now an old man. It's a throwback to the 80s. And this is going to be a movie that I'm going to go there and everyone in the theater is going to be 40 years old or older. 40 to 60 years old, you know, maybe 70 or 80 if there's a, if, you know, if they can come out. Right. But like, and it's all going to be dudes. It's going to be a dad movie. That's what I thought Top Gun Maverick was going to be. And then 
it turned out being like one of the most successful movies in years, dumb luck. Like that shouldn't have happened, right? Because I was like, who, who are all these people who want to see Top Gun Maverick? And then when Indiana Jones 5 came out, people were like, this is a kind of not great dated movie. And I was like, well, that's kind of what I want. And I went to it and it felt like a dad movie. I don't have any kids, but like it really <laughs> felt like a dad movie where I'm a I'm old enough to be a dad and like watch old Nazi war movies. That's what this is. <laughs> and it, and it, I'm sort of weirded out that Indiana Jones ever became a cultural phenomenon ever because literally everything about it is, hey, wouldn't this be cool if you were 50 years old in 1980? Yeah, you're bringing up, <laughs> is this an old people fuck movie? Yes. All yes. Right. <laughs> it, it, very much. It, well, we, there, we don't. You, you don't is, see well, the old people not, fuck until the very last not, scene. But yeah, is he not getting no, it anymore? So then it's not an old people fuck movie. Okay, we do have to do. We do have yeah, to do slight spoilers. Spoilers. For it. spoilers. Okay, slight spoiler warning. Fast forward five minutes. Spoiler alert. Yeah. All right. Okay. So one of the major premises to this film is that Mutt Williams died on the way to his home planet, on the way back to his home planet. He died in Vietnam War. It's actually really, like, sad. Like It actually is. It was the best usage of that character, honestly. I'll get to that, but I'm, but we don't know that yet. I'm saying the film opens up with Mutt Williams died on the way back to his home planet, and Indy and Marion are now separated and getting divorced, and we don't know what went on. We just know that Mutt is gone, and Marion and Indy are... Now, yes, it is sad. It turns out he died in Vietnam and, and it was actually a very well structurally done thing. But he I, is I, old I, and I, bitter, and she's not around. Yeah, and then I had to investigate for the, the end. She gets back. Yeah, I had to investigate the timeline of that. Mutt would have been very old to have died in Vietnam. Mutt would have been very old to have been to died in Vietnam. But it does say he was not drafted. Mutt yeah, enlisted. He, yeah, he enlisted yeah, in I'm order not, to piss India off. So I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not saying it's not possible, but he would have been one of the older yeah. people. But he en- but he enlisted in order. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of realistically for his age. Mutt should have died in Korea. Yeah, but he didn't. He died in Vietnam. And my presumption is Mutt decided to enlist because he wanted to piss off Indy, which is what Indy says happened. And then he was killed over there. And I'm fine with that. But like the reason I brought it up is because one of the things that makes this work is he's 80 years old and the relationship with Marion, which I agree with Hannah, it's the one thing that worked. Well, actually, I'm more I'm not entirely agreeing with you. I think the relationship with Marion is the one thing that really works about Crystal Skull. It's the thing that I remember <laughs> of as a oh yeah they do love each other you know and this is the happy ending that he deserves and now it's been 15 years or whatever and it didn't work and now i'm an 80 year old man and i'm alone because i hate that see i i don't because i I, it's lazy it's It's, it's the same as han solo and i think it's better than han solo i actually did i actually so my problem with the han solo one is that because it is the same as han and kylo but the difference is I did not buy it in Star Wars ever. Like Han and Leia are apart and Kylo is evil because we need a movie to happen. And I don't like I can't relate to it. I don't understand it. I don't really. It's never even really explained because Carrie Fisher died and they don't get to get that scene. Right. So like it's it, I don't understand why Han and Leia are apart in Star Wars and sequel films. In this movie, I do understand that our kid went to war. He died and it tore apart the family. And I, I knew families who were torn apart by Vietnam in the 70s and eight. I mean, I'm a little I mean, like I'm younger, but like 
like to me it felt very real and i was like oh i get it they lost their son son that he didn't even know he had for most of his life right but like he finally presumably got to be okay and then life takes mud away and then his relationship with mary deteriorates over it yeah, and i, I think, love yeah. that i love it i, I mean i know I and i understand why it's troublesome but i love that story i would have liked it like as a strong word because it's you know sad and mm-hmm. like yeah yeah i should be it, it, it complicates the, love, it, yes it, it complicates the happy ending of crystal skull and sometimes you just want happy endings particularly mm-hmm. when there's been a pandemic and you can't watch like the last of us when you mm-hmm. would have 10 years ago that's just me but like i think i would have like quote liked it better if they hadn't have done the thing with han solo first because like it i know it's mm-hmm. unfair in some ways to link the two but these are like iconic it's, it, yeah yes I iconic, see your point. yeah it's iconic characters played by the same guy oh that they mm-hmm. link in the last movie by giving him han's line of i got a bad feeling about this and lucas was involved in both franchises like mm-hmm. it's somewhat unfair but and also like again like monica's brought up the shia problem of it all at the top mm-hmm. of the hour like i get it but also like <laughs> I, get, no, I see your point and one thing that's one thing that is flawed about it for modern movie making is we don't really get to see marion's story and i like karen allen i actually think mm-hmm. that, would have, that would have been really yeah. nice but on the other hand this is more spoilers for the for this for the movie than i thought we were going to do sorry monica <laughs> i think he's lying the entire movie even when he apologizes so he talks to phoebe waller bridge's character and she says well what would you do if you could travel through time and he's like and he basically says i'd go back and i'd stop my son from going to war because it tore his mother apart and he's and he basically does an apology he's talking to her but he's really talking to shia labeouf and he's basically saying i miss you but like your mom misses you blah 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 and it tore apart our marriage because she couldn't let go she couldn't get better and that's not what happened i mean she was devastated but i think he couldn't let go and couldn't get like i my reading of the movie is they're getting divorced because she just can't deal with him unable to cope with but, the loss you know, of but that is such a male of that generation thing that inability and, to confront their own emotions I, yeah, right and that's that's, that's sad that what a man of that time would be that's absolutely why i love it like like as sad as it is and because i agree with hannah it is sad and awful and it sucks that their marriage is falling apart but i absolutely believe that this relic of 19 you know 40 living in 1969 has ruined or not intentionally because not like he did anything you know mutt died it's not like it's not this is the one thing in indy's life that is not his fault right like like he wasn't there but it completely destroys his life i totally buy that and 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 then i love that this movie allows him to get back like so spoilers for the end which is why you brought it back the, yeah. it ends with Marion coming back and they fought so there you go Monica yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and more spoilers without being specific his way of dealing with it up through the end of the movie is to want to run away yeah which is which totally he, I buy he, he doesn't want to face it at all he wants to run away in the most dramatic fashion possible in a movie with time travel right because he is a broken because <laughs> he is a broken man from the 1940s like or mm-hmm. 1930s like he like I believe that he does not know how to do this and that's you what punch, and that's you, what i liked about you, you, he knows how to, he knows how to punch nazis he has no idea how to punch grief and here's right. the thing you all make it sound much more interesting than it actually was to me on screen <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i really loved it and I, and I think it's and i think maybe that's the thing it's an old man movie mm. like it really I, is i thought i was an old man Mav. <laughs> <laughs> apparently not hannah you, you little millennial <laughs> young <ins. laughs> i'm still old enough to not know what a gentle minion was and having to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I mean, yeah. So like the fourth one is like, you know, truly like the romantic comedy yeah. of like Indiana Jones for old people. And I, and as Mav reminded me painfully, so is the third one, <laughs> but not the same. <laughs> I mean, they, they kind of all are romantic comedies in their own way, right? Like even when it's not about a romantic interest, like every time you're like, oh, well, let's put our lead with a cute kid. Oh, let's put our lead with his grumpy oh. old dad. Like yeah. all of those are still following our romantic comedy structure in which our like yeah. homogeny like male lead has to figure out how to like open up and use his feelings right like so mm-hmm. there is yeah, a 100%. sense in which that's just the plot over and over again it's just that he's unlocking some new feeling each movie which like really brings me to that meme of like men will really do anything except go to yes. therapy <laughs> I mean, it's we talked about this on Fast and Furious, right? This is literally in real life. In real life, we are on Fast and Furious 10 and a half. And the last five of them, five solid movies have been just about the fact that Vin Diesel doesn't know how to deal with the fact that his friend died. Like, that's it. Like, that's (laughs) like literally, I guess, four movies because he died in the middle of six. But like, he's just gonna keep making this movie over and over again about how his best friend died and he cannot allow Paul Walker to be dead in the movies because it would because it would mean acknowledging that like his friend is dead in real life and I think that's kind of I think that at essence a lot of these movies are very self-aware and I think all of them have been particularly I would say this one and three Last Crusade. Last Crusade is to me very much about Indy going oh wait maybe everything I mean I I think he realizes it in one two and four but I think in three it's very much a okay this really is all awful like every decision that I've made is awful i don't know how to relate to my dad even because you know i'm just a 50 year old kid who is trying to figure out how to deal with the fact that like i need my dad to say i love you right like that's what that movie is about it's about not knowing how to talk and i think you move on to part four and it's a little different because he doesn't know that mud exists but once he knows mud exists the problem is and now i don't know how to talk to my own kid because my dad didn't know how to talk to me so i'm perpetuating this constant thing and then part five okay now my dad's gone and my kid's gone and my wife's gone for three different reasons and I'm all alone and it's not his fault that Mutt died it's certainly not his fault that his dad died his dad's just you know would be a hundred you know so so he's he's not it's just that I'm alone because I don't know how to have real relationship with I, but to get back to the third one because I, I think something like to pick up on what you and Mock have said is really important is that but also going a different direction is that it takes Ilsa to like get his and his father to like talk to each other what they, I mean by that is well, one one they, they bang they, the same girl <laughs> they yeah. do but that's what I'm not that not that quite what I was thinking about at the end she reaches for the grail and Indy tries to save her but Indy she's like a Nazi like come on man I think 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 with like she's a sexy anyway. Nazi Hannah <laughs> sexy Nazis are worthy of redemption Anyway, so she- <laughs> <laughs> all I can 
thinking about now is that stupid Richard Spencer like profile that like tried to make him a fashion anyway different thing but like she falls to her death and like Indy basically takes her place and it finally his father is like Indiana let it go and they escape and then like they only acknowledge Ilsa's death and I'm not going to complain about a Nazi gain more time that's all I'm saying but they only acknowledge Ilsa's death for one moment where Henry Jones Sr.'s like Ilsa never really believed in the grail she thought she'd won a prize and then they were like we have each other we are <laughs> we are we are father and son let us ride off mm. into the sunset somewhere because Marcus Brody's leading us and he got lost in his own library <laughs> so so like there's like this triangulation of desire where it really does kind of take a woman you know mm-hmm. dying to like get the men to talk which by the way is a trope in these colonial adventure stories and mm-hmm. like other things that are kind of related like James Bond the sexy femme fatale slash also just like even sometimes good girls like die right at the beginning of King Solomon's Minds it's like there are no girls here <laughs> this is an adventure book for boys well technically there's one girl but she's like so evil that I don't count her and then like there actually is like a girl who's a, a love interest and then she dies which we don't need to go into a long analysis of King Solomon's Minds but there's, there's a whole lot to unpack with that it's a lot that book is a lot <laughs> but, you know like the, these tropes like keep happening over and over again and one reason I was interested in this episode and talking about Dial of Destiny is but you've all heard me whine through the hour like but this movie did it better (laughs) this movie did it better what you know what is new about Dial of Destiny like what is interesting about beyond a few select scenes maybe and I do wonder if these like colonial adventure stories wear out their welcome or if there are tropes that just may not be relevant to some people anymore which is I think an unfair framing because right like has been said from the beginning of these movies being made there were criticisms about them about how they portrayed archaeologists about how they portrayed indigenous people temple of doom oh boy temple of doom how indians are portrayed in temple of doom mm-hmm. oh man like you know like the there's this you know food scene where it's just for bad tropes like there there's the thuggy cult that indy goes up against mm. and so many articles that i found that talk about the actual like historical conception of thuggy even reference indiana jones and its portrayal of perpetuating this narrative and like thuggy is like in the british colonial conception by like basically like this one dude who like quote discovered it he like created this archive called William Spillman like that you know it perpetuated a lot of the story of you know they're evil and they're bandits and they worship the goddess Kali and actually like historical scholars are either like questioning how that archive was constructed or you know how accurate what really was there's a book called Textual Traffic Colonialism Modernity and the Economy of Text that just talks about how there might have been bandits well, let me find it. Just a quote from the this book. It can be further argued that Sleeman's discursive invention of Thuggy was taken up with such a clarity during the second and third decades of the 19th century because it meshed well with emerging ideas regarding the shape of the state in colonial India. What the discovery of Thuggy permitted was the argument that the state should be a colonial law and order state, a state that saw its primary activity as that of restraint a criminal and violent population. And so this book also quotes another source, Gordon. They argue that the uh, quote thugs that 
that Sleeman wrote about were ordinary robbers operating gangs at the time of considerable social confusion in a particular area of India. So there's this book, The Textual Traffic. There's another book called Crime and Empire, the colony in 19th century fictions of crime that looks at a lot of British literature and literature at the time, as well as the historical stuff. And it also calls into question some of these conceptions of what thuggy culture was. And actually, like this book about crime and empire actually points out there was a larger like historical narrative going on beyond India and Britain that saw Thuggy as a sign of criminal India and kind of acted as, for some people, a justification for what the British were doing. And it even going beyond what Sleeman himself was arguing. And then there are other articles that talk about this, discuss its Orientalism. A lot of them actually do bring up Indiana Jones, like the opening of an article called Thuggy, an Orientalist construction question mark, actually like, you know, mentions within its second sentence that like it, it appears in quote, Steven Spielberg's gloriously Orientalist Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom. And the people, quote, of India are in particular those concerned with the practice of thuggy are presented as strange, mysterious, backward, irrational, and inferior. A uniform mass ruled over by a fantical Oriental despot, much as Edward Said would have predicted. And so there are a lot of scholars, is what I'm saying, who have like really looked at the historical record and questioned what was originally presented by the British and have even like looked at the films like Temple of Doom, I think is probably the most famous one that think about, you know, well, what are the implications of resurrecting these colonial narratives? Why does it matter that these films are super racist or telling these old stories? Because I will say I rewatched Temple of Doom this past week and mm-hmm. it's really, I would agree with Lawrence Kasdan, the guy who wrote Raiders, who didn't want anything to do with Temple of Doom. It was, it's just mean spirited and it really does promote this colonial narrative. In fact, the British show up at the end to help save Indiana Jones and it, you know, it's set in colonial India because it's still 1938, I believe. It's 30. Hold on. I think so. The first one, I think, actually opens in 36. So maybe it's 35. Oh, it might be. Yeah, it's yeah, the, yeah. It, I, or maybe it's 39 and 38. It, 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 Temple of Doom happens the year before. Temple of Doom definitely mm-hmm. happens the year before Raiders. It's which is weird. Yep. Yeah, okay. 1935, 1938 is Last Crusade. Yeah, so like, like, like it's you know, it's like India, and so like here is this film being like, look at this evil cult, and also here are the British here to save the day, and you know, and is there anything like subversive about that narrative, or is it just telling this colonial story? in the same way that is is comparable to the colonial story that was being told in the 1800s. Yes. <laughs> I mean, to yeah. both? No, I mean, and that's kind of, that's kind of what, it's one of the things that I really love about looking at genre fiction, right? It's the, am I being subversive or am I just perpetuating the thing that I'm trying to subvert? And the answer is always yes, because it's not really an either or, right? Like mm. it is a, depending on how you look at it, like I do. So even the thing that Wayne and I both liked about it, like the all the toxic masculinity issues from Indiana Jones, I do think it is intentionally common. I don't think there's a way to watch particularly the third movie where you see the relationship between him and his dad and how they've perpetuated this broken relationship. And to a lesser extent, I think they're trying to do this with the fourth movie, not so much with the fifth, but I, but with Mutt and with Indy. But I think especially with Henry and Indy, it is a question of, look, 
these are two guys that don't know how to be anything except for this early 20th century construction of masculinity and they cannot be anything else and that is the downfall of their relationship and their relationship repairs itself a little bit when they just reach beyond it a little bit a little tiny bit and it's trying to tell that story and it tells that story by perpetuating the story of toxic masculinity mm-hmm. for an hour and a half like like it's literally an hour and a half of i mean even monica like at the beginning like one of the things we love about these movies is they're movies with the very simple plot that hey why don't we all go punch a bunch of nazis not that i'm against punching nazis but that the point of the films are hey why don't we not deal with this complex question of ideology wouldn't it be great if we could just all go and punch hitler in the face it's the captain america problem right Mm -hmm. and i and that's what i think is i call it a problem but i don't know that it's a captain america problem so much as it is the captain america story right like i want to i jack kirby don't know how to deal with my complex feelings about the war so what i'm going to do instead is i'm going to draw a guy in a flag costume punching hitler in the face that's captain america right and i think that's what india is too yeah well and kind of that essence of toxic masculinity is that you just violence as the answer to complex issues I don't see Nazis as that complex, you know, it's the case, but the ideology that created them is like the fact that it's really easy to say, Hey, Nazis are bad. And then ignore the complicity Mm -hmm. of American neoliberalism and economic policy over Mm -hmm. the last, you know, literal 150 years as to why we still have Nazis in 2023. Or the worldwide anti-Semitism and or, you know, yes, you know, belief in a strong man figure to to make things safe. Yeah, there are all these issues in it. And it's hard to punch the ideology. So unless that's what I said about. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I said about grief as well. His Mm -hmm. grief in this one, you know, he can't he has no idea how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. He's running. And, you know, that thing I said about him running, he's running from the grief like Boulder in the very first scene, (laughs) you know, (laughs) just let me get away from this. I mean, I one of the things I liked about this fifth movie and see, I know Hannah likes the fourth movie and I will say it's there to a lesser extent. But like this fifth movie, especially, I love that he's, you know, he can't do it anymore. Like he's just running out of the ability to do it. One of the criticisms Mm -hmm. I saw some people make of these films is uh, some people complain that well you know Indiana Jones is supposed to be about practical effects because these original movies Raiders was about was only made because they'd blown all their money on Star Wars and that is partly true that is partly true they didn't have the like they're like hey we spent a bajillion dollars making Star Wars and Empire can we make a movie for 47 bucks what if we just get the same guy we're friends with Harrison and we'll have him run from Iraq that'd be exciting and we need bad guys Nazis like I mean like, I mean I'm simplifying surely there are Nazi costumes someplace in somewhere, the archives somewhere right? in the archives right and that, that's how much work they put into it like they were like they made it on the cheap and it's got a lot of really good practical effects because we don't have to blow up miniatures how do we shoot Harrison Ford running from a boulder we're going to roll a boulder at Harrison Ford and make him jump out the way like that's how they did it and I think that they and there were a lot of people complaining well this movie was too CGI especially Crystal Skull like obviously the monkey scene aliens aren't real Shia. it is yeah. aliens are real minutes long. I know I, I know I know but like people complain but there are a lot of people complaining about that with this movie 
and you know oh there's so much special effect and like the de-aging and blah 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 and it ruins everything and i'm like he's 80 there's a scene where he's riding a horse where he is very obviously green screened and i was very aware of it and i let it go because i wanted to see indiana jones in a chase scene on a horse and so i just like dealt with it but like i get that it looked fake i did the because harrison ford is an 80 year old man and he's doing everything he can to like kill himself in real life so let's not just kill him on screen right like like he's not tom cruise he's very brittle <laughs> like, like, i enjoyed oh the film uh, one of the things that you're bringing up for me is sort of this like tourism of indian and it is something that we talked a little bit um before we did the podcast about um and i was like it's so funny that i hate the misogyny of james bond movies but i'm really willing to let it go for and Indiana Jones. And I am thinking about this in terms of like, when you have genre fictions, right? Like you really have that one that feels like it's the source text or the purest version. And, and despite the fact that we've now talked about like Indiana Jones stems from a very large actual fictional legacy of serials, there is still something about Indiana Jones feels like the defining source text well, that it, all of them, these other yeah, pieces think- of genre fiction are stemming from mm-hmm. like something like a mm-hmm. Tomb Raider separated um, the, the video game. Right? It's, it's, it's become that. For the- what is it about Indiana that is our, our purest source text? And what is it that Indiana Jones does we feel like we get something different from it than we do from all of these other genre texts that allows it to still feel like the one that we want to it's give so a level of purism yeah. to. Yeah, I think it certainly has become that. You know, most people's mm-hmm. not read H. Rider Hack, right? Right. Yeah, you know, like, what? you know, yeah, I know, hard to believe. We're, 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 <laughs> turns out we're weirdos. In, in the circles that we travel in, I recognize that's hard to believe, but I, it became that for so many people. I remember a review of it, and I'm old. I saw it when it came out. I, I got to tell the story very quickly. There was a magazine coming out in the early 80s called Preview, P-R-E-V-U-E, and there was an issue that mm-hmm. had a cover feature of Popeye movie. And I have a picture of it here that I'm looking at. And in it was like a half page article on this cool new movie coming out from Spielberg and Lucas. You know, those guys from Close Encounters, Star Wars, right? And it was an article <laughs> just about this movie, you know? And I thought that sounds really cool. I, I like Harrison Ford. It sounds cool. They did a, and I don't remember the details of this. I saw a preview screening of that in Washington, PA, like two months before its wider national release. And my nephew and I went to see it just based on this article and preview. And I came out of that thing. It was the greatest thing I'd ever seen just in terms of action and adventure and all that stuff. I remember a local reviewer, like a morning news magazine program. And his review of it was, you know how you come out of movies and say they don't make them like that anymore? Well, they just did. And that idea of that movie encapsulated a nostalgia for something that I don't know ever existed in that pure form. I think Hmm. Indiana Jones still so many elements from movie serials, from adventure novels novels from comics, all that stuff in a way that hadn't been done before, but it brought all those elements together in almost an archetypal fashion. And as a result of that, it has become, even though it comes a hundred years after a Rider Haggard, not quite you get my point, maybe. Yeah, maybe it is. Yeah. 2023. Kind of, yeah, yeah. For modern audiences, by modern audiences, I mean the last 50 years, it's sort of the urtext of this. It has, it's your thing, Mab. It echoed into Truth the copy. future. Yeah. yeah. It, it echoed into the future and influenced everything that came after it, but it also changed the way we perceive everything that came before it. So, so um, let's be real. H.R. Haggard is kind of 
kind of boring. Oh like, God, it's, it's weird. <laughs> but like he is very slow. Yeah, the like there's slow. like a, also there's like a whole and this is not the worst thing in the book. I want to be clear, but like people have things about animals. Like there is a whole chapter where they're just like, let's kill some elephants for their tusks because Alan Quartermain's like an elephant hunter. Like, <laughs> it's just like a pointless chapter. It's like, well, we killed like a bunch of elephants and then we killed a lion and it's, and like it's not exciting. Like Indiana Jones is fast paced. Well, not yeah. this movie, but like most of the time it's fast paced. Like you know what I think it is. You'll go. So <laughs> this is something I learned. I read a bunch of early uh, of pulps and uh, adventure stories when I was doing my dissertation. Like I, I wanted to t- trace the superhero and the sexuality of superhero beyond just the classic Superman's is the beginning of this. So I went and I said, I, yeah, I read she, I read some penny dreadfuls. And I think that people remember what, when you alluded to this, what I call the truth copy, right? People mm-hmm. remember this thing that is not the earth text for those who are not literary weenies like us. Earth text is your original text, the one that they all branch from. But I don't think people actually branch from the originals because most people don't go back and read Alan Quartermain text. What they do instead is they watch an Indiana Jones movie and Indiana Jones is the distilled bits of Steven Spielberg's memory of mm-hmm. what the serials based on this other stuff were. So he, he, he remembers the exciting heavy. parts. Yeah, he right. remembers the exciting parts. Yeah. They, he remembers the exciting parts of these things that he watched when he was 12 and he, when he was 40, put them in a movie and that became a franchise. And now that's what we all have to work with. And now mm-hmm. even, even us, like we remember the boulder scene, right? There's a lot of yeah. other stuff in Raiders, but we remember the boulder yeah. scene. And like, it's just a perpetual like going on and just rebooting, re- rebooting in order to make action heroes into these people who just live and breathe action. As opposed to we talked about like the quarter main stories and stuff and how slow they are. I read a bunch of early Doc Savage books. Uh-huh. Oh, my God, are they slow? Oh, Doc Savage will sit there and analyze like the trajectory of a bullet for 20 pages. And then someone will come and attack with a gun and he'll punch him. And that's the end of the fight. And then they go back to analyzing. <laughs> it is so slow and painful because it is trying to do it is trying to celebrate intelligence in a way that is a birth of science. It's part of what's what was interesting in the pulps of that day that is slow to us now. And by the time Mindy came around, it did. I mean, using the obvious thing that you guys mentioned, it incorporated elements of the action hero of James Bond. Yeah. It incorporated. You know, there were all of these men's adventures novels that were extant mm-hmm. in the 1970s. The Executioner, who the Punisher was based on. Mm-hmm. These, you know, the, just so many of these extended, you know, serialized novels of these toxic male action heroes. And it was all you know, action and adventure and world travel and that sort of thing. And you know, that certainly played into the creation of that character as well. Those were a bit darker and more overtly violent and sexist than India. But I think they certainly went into, they were part and parcel of the 1970s and the stew that created that I mean, character. I'll say that I think Temple of Doom could give them a run for their money because yeah. if there was ever like a film of just pure sex, like it, I really, the nice thing I can say about Temple of Doom is that he who wake one has all the charm as a child actor and really tries Bless. his hardest to make a very yeah. Yeah. dark film, like not yeah. but like, it's kind of really sad to watch. 
This yeah, like that... little kid being really sexist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was uh, my my anecdote with that one. I saw it when it came out a couple of times. Yeah, I liked it at the time. It was good to see more Indiana Jones. There was my friend Fred and I were set up at a comics convention as guests, small comics convention at a Holiday Inn in a small town, and they were showing that uh, just on a VHS movie, a TV screen around the corner from us, so we couldn't see it. But they played the movie and then they rewound it and played it again for the entire eight hours. Like we were that. That. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the entire eight hours. And let yeah. me tell you, if you listen to that movie without being able to see it for eight hours, all that happens is that kid and that woman scream nonstop two hours straight. <laughs> and that's the entire movie to me. I can't watch it anymore because all they do is scream. There, there's like this really charming scene that apparently Harrison Ford and Kihuei Kwan like improv about them like accusing each other of cheating at cards. And you can't hear most of it because Willie is just being tortured by like random <laughs> wild animals. And she's just screaming and like they're ignoring her. I just, it's, I, no offense to Kate Capshaw. Yeah. She, she, she does what she can, I suppose. Yeah. But. Yeah. I, yeah. I know there's more to the movie than that. That has been, that um, has become my overwhelming memory of that film. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Wayne, I think you're not entirely wrong. But, like, like, I, I think that like my parents were just like, Raiders is good. We'll show her Raiders because I don't have a memory of watching Temple of Doom because it was like, you know, like the film and also Gremlins that like got the PG-13 rating to be a thing. But like, yeah. I don't remember watching it until I was older and I was like, oh, it's really not. I well, mean, this is a choice. It, Temple of Doom, I think, is notable in that. And this is maybe what before we end, I want to talk about this a little bit because Indiana Jones is sort of in some ways, it's weirdly like the it's the forgotten franchise, right? Like it's the it's us going, hey, you know, we bought, you know, we Disney bought Lucasfilm just to do Star Wars and they have Star Wars and they have Star Wars and they have Star Wars and they have. Oh, yeah. Indiana Jones is a thing. Oh, yeah. Indiana Jones is like the second blockbuster franchise. Like it really is. It it was huge. And there were it's not that there weren't other franchises like beyond just Star Wars. Right. Like like early on, we mostly people mostly forget about the horror franchises. But around this time is when we were making back to back Jaws movies and back to back Friday the 13th movies. And people were like, oh, this is a franchise. But those were really cheap and they weren't for everybody because the horror fan. And I know that I know people are listening going, oh, well, Jaws isn't really a horror movie. Look, for the purposes of this conversation, it is the fans that went to all of the Jaws movies and all of the Friday the 13th and all of the Halloweens. They're not as four quadranty films as Star Wars was designed to be as Indiana Jones was designed to be and when we had a world where we could have a Star Wars and we could have a a Empire Strikes Back and we could have a Return of the Jedi that's what made us go oh well Raiders made some money do something else do it again the entire mm-hmm. premise of it, is that it, of it is that he does this every day right so do it again mm-hmm. and that's what Temple is and it's not greatly thought out there's not a lot and everybody well, loves Short Round but Short Round is literally there because they said this is a sequel slash prequel and what can we do to make it different? Put a cute kid in it. Yeah, right. that'll be it. And it's literally like he's a great actor and he grew up to be a greater actor, but he's there because he's a cute kid. That's yep. it. Yep. Well, I, I think you know, part of the difference, you know, the franchise idea is you know, Star Wars has become a universe. There are so many 
characters in so many corners to explore. Whereas Indiana Jones is the character. It's that guy. He's got 70 years worth of history. You could do more and more stories. And there was the TV show, which we should at least acknowledge the Adventures of Young Indiana Jones or whatever it was called. So there's lots of corners, places in his life you can explore. But yeah, Harrison Ford wasn't going to spend his life doing nothing but making Indiana Jones. No, he did appear for like a hot second in that TV series. But I also like, I mean, there are like novels and comics, I believe, of Indiana Jones. And and they they also like... Not great. Yeah, (laughs) but you know, there's some expansion to other characters. Like, you know, Short Round did become in these expansion universe things such Mm -hmm. as they are. He did become like an archaeologist, which, you know, and I think that like, I think this might somehow be the most internet-y baby statement I will make, despite saying that Crystal Skull is the second best Indiana Jones movie. Somehow I think this will upset a certain corner of the internet more. I mean, Elena Shaw in this new film, like she could be like an offshoot character for like some of these expanded things. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think like they're going to give her her own movie, but you know, it. I also think that it's funny to talk about like one thing I wanted to go to and go back to that way you've mentioned Mock has mentioned is like Indiana Jones is like the remembered like I am an explorer discoverer in quotes of lost artifacts guy there's so many like things that are clearly inspired by him yes like the mummy mm. just steals scenes from raiders and plot lines from last yeah. crusade and yeah you know like laura croft yes and also what's funny is i discovered that if you google alan Quartermain, king salmon's minds there is a movie poster that basically just looks like indiana jones so like it's now circled back <laughs> To like yeah, I, it just looked like he just looks like Indiana Jones. The top thing yeah, out yeah. it just looks like an Indiana Jones ripoff poster. Right. And so I wonder, like, when one thing I was, I guess, kind of getting at and being like, well, there there are these adventure stories. A lot of them are like colonial in one way or another. What has shifted in the genre? You know, what is like changed? Like what have yeah. been some changes since Indiana Jones? I think some like something like National Treasure or even the Da Vinci Code has the same DNA in it. Yeah. You know, like you, you have puzzles to figure out the death traps. You are searching for some artifact that may or may not exist. Those don't have quite the same overt action adventure. No, indie, I, I would just simply arguing that um, we should do an entire episode about how much I love National Treasure. Kind Let's of an uh, <laughs> anti-American movie because we're stealing the Declaration of Independence. We haven't uh, we haven't done a is this a bad think, movie? In a I while, think we so. should because <laughs> I think it's an incredible movie. I you know I recently watched it. it recently had a Disney Plus series that got canceled. Yeah, I, I think it. Holds I've never movie. seen any of them. Oh yeah, I, saw, I, I, I saw the I've first one. Seen I haven't seen the rest of them. And I like. I've never. I, yeah, no, I mean, I like Cage, so you know I'll give it a shot. But I've never actually watched any of them. I mean, Jungle Cruise. I feel like isn't is. I mean, it's heavily. See, if you think that any Indian film is CGI heavy, watch Jungle Cruise and then talk mm-hmm. to me. Like, yeah. honestly, but Jungle Cruise, I think, is one of the more recent. Like, hey, look, we're doing an adventure film. Like, we're going to, like, hunt down some lost treasure. And it sort of attempts to be like, hey, hey let's fi- figure out, like, how to maybe, I mean, in the most basic way possible, because it's just a movie. Like, let's find a way I mean, to, like. It, 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 if Catherine Hepburn punched the Nazis in African Queen, it would be Jungle. Yeah. Mm. Well, let's put some twists on like some of these colonial 
tropes about indigenous people or in the mummy you know and laura croft like do this too like let's have women not just be sex symbols and i, mm. I mean I'd, I'd argue that you know marion ravenwood by the end of indiana jones is more than just like yeah a girl by the end of raiders um, or do you yeah. think by or do you mean of the entire franchise oh. i mean she's certainly more than just a girl by the end of the franchise like i think that even though she's not in this fifth one enough for my taste i think that she's certainly felt her presence is felt yes. and i think she is a lot more important than willie whatever happened right like no one cares about what happened to willie right exactly Um, exactly whereas i think marion's story in raiders i think really shows her to be more than yes i would argue more than just a damsel in distress yes absolutely and Mm -hmm. uh you know you know i've asked the question to be provocative like is there anything to first about these films are they just repeating closures i mean honestly like every single film in the franchise finds a way to like be subversive in one way or another i mean raiders for god's sakes ends with the art coming alive and swallowing up all the nazis and indy like believing so you know such that it is he, yeah he pulled a scully in this movie like, i don't believe in magic but i've seen things <laughs> yes yes <laughs> you've, seen, you, you've seen the arch you've seen the arch of the covenant eat nazi you don't believe in magic all right whatever <laughs> you've, seen the, you've seen people remove a beating a still beating heart from a body and the body just keeps going like yeah. You know that magic exists. You became, you became a superhero in the third movie, for God's sake, man. You survived a nuclear explosion in a fridge. Exactly. Right. I was like, kind of a superhero. Right. But I mean, yeah, but yeah, but I mean, like, even, yeah, just like literally, like, you know that there is a magic cup that you can cure a bullet wound with because you did it. <laughs> so, like, you're aware that magic exists. Yeah. Yeah. I got to say that. That was the, and I found it humorous. That was the biggest eye roll of the movie for me. <laughs> but I've seen things. Hey, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he even lists off all the things you've seen. And it's been like, well, what more do you want, bud? <laughs> Uh, so we've resolved nothing we've resolved nothing one last thing one last thing to resolve you should google ocean springs mississippi raiders of the lost ark remake and it's fun history of indiana jones kids from my hometown in the 1980s like would go to the movie theater and record the dialogue from rare so they could make a shot by shot remake and they that's great been decades completed and so like you want to talk about practical effects made on the cheap it's a really cool story I, my, my hometown did a screening i went at least some of the careers were there they did like a q a there's a lot of like cool articles over the years where they like, really talk about the history so if you were ever an amateur filmmaker and like oh spielberg like i think he would love that yeah yeah, yeah, they, yeah. well he does he saw it they actually misspelled his name in the credits originally <laughs> but yeah like so they started out as kids and like they didn't completely because of like some of the intensity of some of like the plane shots they didn't complete until like they were adults with a kickstart campaign but like so do they, they were, visibly age do they just like visibly age from scene to scene because that'd be amazing. you'll just have to watch and find out it really I, is entertaining i love like it i love it like it's not just because it's my hometown or indiana jones maybe it's a combo of the two but it's just it's so cool yeah and that's right yeah um but yeah they the P, they got the cast back together so i mean make of that what you will that's awesome <laughs> So anyway, I guess we can wrap things up there. Uh, what order do we want to go in? Wayne, where can people find you? Yeah, you know the answer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this shouldn't be. There's no guests this week, so it's just going to be a lot of uh, fine. 
Hannah, anything you want to plug? <laughs> Look, even if I wanted to plug like a social media, let's be real. It might all be gone or you might not be able to access it by the time this episode airs. So I guess I will plug my usual National Network of Abortion Fund. Okay. And Monica yeah, I'm kind of feeling the same where it's like, I don't really want to tell you to go talk to me on Twitter anymore. Do I? Like, <laughs> <laughs> guess you can still find me on Instagram at Monica Marvelous, which is really only so useful because they took away our Vox podcast Instagram, which is so rude. I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Monica Marvelous. It'll exist on some social media channel. You'll figure it out. <laughs> oh, and, I, and maybe this might be really early. We'll remind people at the time that Mav and myself and friend uh, Marcel, who's semi-regular on the show, at the last minute, all submitted to a conference <laughs> in Cleveland on Superman. Yes. Like, literally, there was a call for papers. So, so Marcel didn't wait till the last minute. He submitted he, he's the, like day the day before. We had seen this. We had talked about it. It's in Cleveland. It's you know, two hours from here there was an extended deadline for the call for papers i didn't have an idea until i went to bed the night before it was due i got up that morning wrote a 275 word thing and then went to work mav and i submitted like anyway all three of us got accepted we're invading cleveland in october yes (laughs) yeah we'll talk about that as it comes up and i'm also so i'm doing that one i'm also doing the spider-man conference around the same time so i'm doing both of those yeah that's for future stuff yeah (laughs) but anyway that's anyway yeah. yeah in the meantime you can follow me on mastodon or blue sky or threads all of the places <laughs> at, at <laughs> i just want to point out you didn't offer any of us an invite code guy i so don't you- have i don't have any invite codes to blue sky yet someone was gracious enough to send me as soon as i have them yes i will be off guy invite codes because i mean you're missing nothing because literally like there's nothing on blue sky yet because you need an invite code to get there and there aren't enough people to generate enough invite codes fast enough so like i've not been able to invite people to blue sky if you happen to be on blue sky seriously i've got like four followers so please (laughs) please by all means follow me on blue sky or threads or you know which i have more threads is easy if you have an instagram account you can get a threads account and mastodon accounts i don't know that mastodon's long for the world but i'm on that too and as always, I'm still on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's just just in general, network. if you expect longevity, don't name your company after something extinct. <laughs> yes. <that works. laughs> but yeah, I'm on all social media, generally at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show. I was going to say all those same places, but the, the honest truth is, as Monica pointed out, our Instagram account disappeared. I don't know why. We didn't do anything. It's just advertisements for the show. So we don't have an Instagram account anymore. <laughs> We are on Twitter and we are on Facebook at Vox Popcast. We're not on the other stuff because it would take me a long time to sit there. And I mean, it would take me at least half an hour to go through and create separate accounts for Mastodon and Blue Sky and Threads. <laughs> and I can't create one for Threads because we lost our Instagram account. It's so weird. But like once the social media wars die down and we have a victor, we'll be somewhere at Vox Popcast. <laughs> and in the meantime, we're on Twitter and Facebook still at Vox Podcast. If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on, oh God, on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, except for Stitcher's going away. Oh <laughs> <laughs> I just, 
<laughs> I realized what I was about to say like two sentences ago and I'm just like, oh God. So I have to rewrite that part of the outro as well. Yeah, Stitcher announced that they're going out of business soon and they're they're giving everybody like a month to like get on some other podcatcher. So like, you know, if you're on Stitcher, please subscribe to us on Google Podcast or iTunes or Spotify or, you know, we're on everything else too. But like I'd always just had Stitcher in the outro because it flowed well and I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to screw that up for time to time. But, you know, please subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts from (laughs) and do us a favor. Leave us a five star review. That probably really helps us out. I don't know, because again, I don't know what podcatcher networks are on. It certainly helps us out on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Like, so write us a five star review, write us a five star rating. (laughs) Say, hey, best podcast ever. Follow them on whatever social media account. (laughs) We don't belong in a museum. We don't belong in a museum. Oh, God, I would like us to still be around. But like, you know, the world's imploding. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, feeling ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd once again like to thank all my lovely co-hosts for joining me. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye forever. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't do a post-up with the episode, Monica. (laughs) 